Hello, this is Tracy Schroyer, and I am a breast cancer survivor, and I wanted to share with you some insight on my visit with my cancer oncologist. This is my first visit with the cancer oncologist after my double mastectomy with reconstruction with tissue expanders. And I have this entire video series on my YouTube channel uh, regarding my breast cancer journey and what I've been through. A lot of it um, so far from the videos, probably one through 10 or 11, are kind of backtracking my experience over the last couple months. Um, and then uh, I believe it's 11 or 12 will be fo uh, moving forward uh, with my journey as I go along and recording those more real time. This um, type of thing was extremely beneficial for me uh, to hear from other people's um, videos that they had done uh, on YouTube or Instagram uh, or Facebook and also to talk to people who have experienced it and gone through it was extremely helpful. Everybody's situation is different, everybody's scenario is different, but it's great to have that insight as to what you might be walking into, whether it's a different appointment or your surgery, um, things like that. So take what you can, um, whether you are going through this experience or helping somebody along through this experience or just wanna learn more about what um, I experienced if your family or friends. So today, as I mentioned, I want to share about my initial visit with my cancer oncologist and what we talked about and kind of what the um, next steps are from here. So I met my cancer oncologist. I was actually recommended, uh, my breast surgeon recommended the practice or referred me to this practice um, and it was in network and um, they basically assign you a doctor out of the practice as they go to set up your appointment. So when I talked to the woman to set up the appointment, I actually knew um, from my mom, my stepdad who had cancer, and um, he's passed away many years since, um, and then also a friend um, who was seeing a doctor in that practice recommended the same doctor. And so I asked the woman uh, when I called if I could see that doctor, if there's any possible way of getting into that particular doctor because I had recommendations. He was really good, people knew him and thought I would really like him. So she had to call me back. Um, it was a day and a half or two days later. She wanted to confirm with the doctor and she actually wanted to know who recommended him, which I guess is probably good. Um, so I went into the appointment, my husband went with me and um, the nurse came in, she did the blood pressure, asked some questions, kind of that was it. And then the doctor came in. Um, so the doctor had some papers and he sat down and um, it was interesting because whenever you go to a new doctor, like they don't know you and how you're going to take things and you're not sure their style. And so trying to figure that out. Um, but I really liked him. He was very straightforward. This is the case. And so many of the doctors, um, at least in my case, I know if you're, you know, based on your tumor and the different criteria for your, your cancer, it's, it could be very different. Like you have to do radiation or you have to do chemo or, you know, you're so low chemo is not going to benefit you, that kind of thing. So as with like the radiation I mentioned in the last video, I was in the gray area. I was also in the gray area for the chemo. So um, for chemo, what they had done is the breast surgeon had told me that after my surgery, they basically take the tumor and they send it off for testing and the kind of testing that she did, I know there's a couple different kinds, she did it on oncotype test. And basically the oncotype test gives your tumor a score of what the likelihood um, that you will have cancer again. 
And I don't think it's necessarily a recurrence in the same location. It could be cancer in general, um, but what that likelihood might be. Or so, so you just get a number. And the number I believe can be zero to 100. And there's a low, a medium, and a high. So if you fall into the low bracket, it's kind of like an automatic chemo is not going to benefit you. It's not, it doesn't make sense to do it. There's a low likelihood that you'll have cancer, um, which is great. And I, I have read from people and I've heard from people that have fallen into that category. For the high one, it's absolutely, you're going to do chemo. This is when you start. And most of the time, um, if you have not already had surgery, sometimes they do the chemo prior to, to try to shrink the tumor before you do any kind of surgery. Um, I've also heard of people who have had surgery and then do chemo. Um, in my case, I had already had surgery. So if I had to do chemo, it would have been the next up. And then if I had to do radiation, it would have been after the chemo. So, um, and then of course, there's also that middle um, bracket where it's a gray area and you try to figure out and make your best judgment as to, you know, here's your chances of getting cancer again. Should you do chemo to lower that a little bit or whatever it might be, or should you kind of take your risks and go forward with what the, the percentage is? So of course I fell into that middle bracket, having to make all these difficult decisions. And so my score, remember zero to hundred, my score was 18. So there is, I've seen several different um, scales on what the doctors considered a gray area. So my breast surgeon had told me that typically the gray area is 20, it's usually 20 to 25, um, right around there. So my 18, she said it fell close enough to 20 that she wasn't quite sure. Um, and she wanted the cancer oncologist to definitely give, you know, his recommendation. He knew more about that and um, to look at it and, and see what his thoughts were. Um, so I went to him, so he had pulled out a piece of paper and he had basically said, so with a score of 18, I was definitely in that kind of gray area. I was close enough to be in that gray area. Um, as far as he was concerned, he said the percent likelihood that I could have cancer again, anywhere in my body was 16%. If I was to do chemo, it would lower that 16% by 6%. So I would still have 10% chance that I would have chemo somewhere in my body. And so it's really like, you know, sitting there thinking, oh my gosh, these, you think they're really low until you're faced with the decision of, do I take that risk or not? We also talked about the impacts to a person who goes through chemo. So I would absolutely lose my hair. Um, which I did not want to, I was more, and I've heard a couple of people say this, more okay to lose my chest than I was my hair. Um, that is not the sole reason I decided not to do chemo, um, which was my decision. Um, and there are different methods you can use, and I even looked at them. They're, they're mighty expensive and mighty painful to try to save your hair uh, when it may not work um, completely. So, um, so that is one thing. Um, the other is how sick you get because when you do the chemo, it attacks everything in your body. Um, the good cells and the bad cells and how sick people can get and how it can take over your life. Um, 
and just thinking through that and the length of time that you go through. And he did rattle off. I didn't write these down. I, it was a little bit confusing. So unless I knew I was going to go forward on that route, I would probably have had him explain them further. Um, but he was talking about, so I had heard um, from somebody else that they did what they had referred to as a chemo light. Um, so they, they were talking about, I can't remember what it was called, but so my doctor basically said, if you choose to go the chemo route, we are aggressive. He said, that's how I roll. I was so glad he was so open and whether you call it blunt or whatnot, but just very open about it. He's like, I go aggressive. I don't want you to have to do this again if we don't have to. Um, so he was talking about it. It's not like radiation where you go every day for, you know, five weeks um, and you do like 25 sessions. It's, it's a different kind of schedule and the way that the drugs are introduced. So you'll hear a lot of people throw out different acronyms. Um, if you're in some of the private groups about what kind of chemo that they had, um, there's one that ha I can't remember the acronym, but they, it's referred to as the Red Devil um, because that's the quite a bit um, more um, intense uh, to go through that. Um, but you, and I, and I had read some things where you might go for a day and then you go back a week later and then you're off for 20 days. Like it's a, it's a very different schedule um, and it really depends on what the doctor's putting you on and, and how that's set up. Um, but I thought, man, how disruptive that is to life. And I totally get why people do it. And just in my instance, um, thinking about the percentages, and we talked more because I wasn't completely convinced not to do it at that point, um, but we talked more and, and talking about how it would only decrease it by around 6%. Um, I also actually, let me grab... Uh, I don't have it right in front of me right now, um, but there is a study that is very similar to, let me actually try to find it. Let me pause this and I'll be right back. Okay, so I did find, I pulled up, um, so this is me uh, being a PhD in double masters. I went and looked through the research. Um, so cancer.org and breastcancer.org <coughs> are fabulous. Uh, websites to start to get information from. <clears throat> so I had looked for, um, prior to my cancer oncologist appointment, different studies. So you have that factual information. You can definitely look through the private groups um, on Facebook or look through different things online. Um, but a lot of that, um, unless it's that factual and actual study uh, that people have documented um, in the way that those are done, um, is all just uh, more of opinion or experience and that kind of thing. Um, so I did pull up two studies, but the one uh, that I found really, really interesting in my case uh, was this, and I don't know if that will translate. I don't know that it will, right? Um, but it's called Taylor X results suggest about 70% of women with early stage hormone receptor positive HER2 negative disease can skip chemotherapy. Um, so I had pulled up the study and I'll put a link in the comments, um, but this was, I believe it was from breastcancer.org and it was actually um, off of another site I found that routed me there. Um, but it talked about 
uh, people within my score, so within 16 to 20, and I mentioned I was 18, have a low to medium risk of recurrence. The benefits of chemotherapy likely will not outweigh the risk of the side effects. Um, so you're really gonna have a poorer quality of life going through that um, than the benefit that you're gonna receive. And like I mentioned, like that 6% that, that he had talked to me about. Um, so this actually went through and studied, um, it was thousands, I, I wanna say it was six to 7,000 women and put them into different categories where they were with their tumor size, um, with their oncotype score um, and everything like that. And there's actually, oh, this is the other study and I'll find this and I'll share the link too if I can. Uh, the New England Journal of Medicine. Um, this was done in 2018 and this says adjuvant chemotherapy guided by a 21 gene expression assay in breast cancer. And this was the one, it studied quite a few women um, as well. Let me see if I can find the total here. They had a nice little, um, looks like an org chart kind of thing that you see in business. Um, and they started out with uh, 11,232 patients pre-registered for the study. And this is why it's helpful too, if you are in this journey and um, you're willing to um, be part of a study. Some people are not, totally get that, totally fine with that. Um, but if, or based on your treatment that you're gonna take anyway, that you're part of a study to see, um, to help them kind of identify some of this. And it's not 100% to say you are gonna fall into this just because these people in the study did. It just gives you better insight of the facts and what's out there. So based on this study, so this study and the Taylor um, X um, insight that I looked at, um, for my score, for the size of my tumor, um, for the fact that, um, so I did not have any cancer in my axillary, axillary, yeah, that's how you say it, I believe, um, axillary lymph nodes. I had one out of two sentinel lymph nodes that had cancer in it. It was a very, very small, um, I think, millimeter size. So even the cancer oncologist had told me that it only was positive because it was like a smidge, like he didn't use that terminology, but like a smidge above where it would be considered negative. Um, so it had really just started to, to go that route. Um, but basically uh, between these and discussing with him and his, you know, what he's learned and what he's looked at, he's been a cancer oncologist for a very long time. Um, and he said his main concern is what is your, um, can't remember the terminology he used, but are you going to be here in 10 years? How am I going to make sure that you're here in 10 years? You know, what, what are we going to have to do? So we talked about, um, it was great because we were able to talk about, um, especially that Taylor um, X study, and talk through some of that. Um, and then also one other thing I did ask him is I had talked to my gynecologist and said, do you want to take any other women parts, you know, whether it's hysterectomy or whatever it is. Um, and my gynecologist did not want to do that when I talked to him. He did not want to throw me into menopause because he couldn't treat me with hormones because my tumor was 100% um, hormone receptive. So, so it feeds off of hormones. So he didn't want to do that. Um, when I talked to the cancer oncologist and after, and granted, this is after the surgery, after the, um, the assessment, the pathology, all of that kind of stuff, which my gynecologist at the time did not have that information. 
Um, and my gynecologist doesn't specialize in the cancer aspect of it either. Um, so my cancer oncologist had basically said um, his thought on next steps is, of course, I knew I was going to be taking a hormone blocker for the next five to 10 years, which is a pill format every day um, to keep any hormones at bay from um, feeding any kind of cells that might become cancerous. Um, but his other recommendation was that we um, put me on a shot to suppress my ovaries. Um, and then eventually, which we were talking about before the end of the year to do surgery, to remove my ovaries. So I did ask him the question of why would you do the shot versus just going in and removing your ovaries? Like they're doing the same thing. What's the difference? Why wouldn't you just go in and do the surgery? He said, great question. Um, he said, basically you would do the shot for quite a few months, three to five months, probably three to four months to see how your body reacts to not having those ovaries without actually pulling them out. Um, so being able to shut them down and see what side effects that you're getting and um, you know, how you're going to react or if you have to change whatever treatment you, know, you might have to do uh, versus taking out your ovaries. Um, so that made complete and total sense. It's like a practice run almost before you go and, and have those taken out. Um, so he had told me by getting my, um, by getting that shot, it's a once a month shot I would go in and get. Um, he said side effects would probably not just start to happen until a month in <clears throat> to having the shot. I have read different things from women and their experience um, that they have gotten some hot flashes early on or bone joint aches. Um, so, um, and we talked about the different side effects and the impacts of it's basically going to throw me into menopause and can't treat it with hormones or anything like that. So he said, we would have to treat the side effects as they come along. And there's plenty of things that we can do, whether it's prescribed or, you know, vitamin or supplement to help with those hot flashes, with the bone and joint aches, you know, with anything else that might come along. And so we talked through some of those. Um, so that made sense. And he said, basically by removing my ovaries, we, bring me down, I want to say it was between three and 5% of that 16%. So it's half, if not a little bit more than half of what the chemo would have done. Um, because typically, um, well, not typically, but what I'm reading and what I'm seeing is that many women who have that hormone receptive, if they do have another kind of cancer, one of them may be ovarian cancer. Um, so that makes sense that you would just take that. Um, I asked him why you would not do like a full hysterectomy and it was basically, we don't want to disrupt everything there. Um, if we can just take the ovaries that are, um, you know, producing those hormones and, and just do that, you know, that would be the best approach. Um, so April 1st, uh, 2020 is when I start the shot. Um, and hopefully that appointment stays so I can start that route and get on it. Um, with the coronavirus going on in this world, it's a little shaky on some appointments and things, um, but hopefully um, we're still able to progress on that. And then within three to four weeks from there, I would start on the pill hormone blocker, uh, which would be every day for the next five to 10 years. And tamoxifen is one that you may have heard of um, if you're uh, looking at things in the cancer world or have heard of other people. Uh, tamoxifen is typically uh, prescribed when someone is not in uh, menopause yet. Um, so if I 
uh, were not to go forward with the Lupron with the ovary suppression shots, um, I would probably be on tamoxifen. I don't think I would get the full benefit as if I would go forward with the, you know, the, the shots. Um, but if you are in menopause or you're going into menopause, the pill that they put you on, uh, the one he mentioned to me was anastrozole. Um, I'm not sure exactly why to spell that. Anastrozole, um, which I've seen it right now and I could put that in the comments as well. Um, but that is what he would put me on um, since I would be going into menopause. He said if those side effects from that are too significant or we can't treat them very well with other things, um, he could definitely move me over to the tamoxifen. That's not preferred, um, but um, typically uh, the, the, the preference to prescribe is tamoxifen is if you're not in menopause and uh, the anastrozole, I'm saying that right, is if you are going to be pretty shortly or you're already in menopause or past it. Um, so that is really the course from here. So based on just a summary of between the radiation oncologist visit and the cancer oncologist visit, I have decided not to move forward with radiation and not to move forward with chemo. Um, but in the place of those, the treatment that I will have um, coming up will be starting that Lupron shot to suppress my ovaries and then a few weeks after that, starting on to that hormone blocker pill, which is every day for five to 10 years, and definitely continuing to monitor me. So every three months, I will be seeing a doctor. Um, it will be three months, you know, uh, after, you know, I have my next appointment in just under four months with my breast surgeon. Then I'll be seeing my cancer oncologist breast surgeon, cancer oncologist. Um, I'm not sure how long I will see the breast surgeon, if that continues indefinitely, or you know something else switches and maybe I see somebody else. Um, but typically it's like an every three month thing for so many years. And then you may go to either six months um, or a year after that um, and continue to see somebody and do checks. And if there's anything, so my doctor also, my cancer oncologist told me that if I had any ache or pain or Anything that stayed for more than two to three weeks, I need to red flag that and bring it up to him because that could be a sign of something and they definitely want to check it out as early as possible. And at that point, that's when they might do any scans or um, uh, assessments or evaluations or, or anything like that to see you know, if there's something else going on. So it's kind of scary, um, but you make the best decision that you can at the time with the information that you have. Um, so based on the recommendations and the insight from all of these doctors, as well as looking at the research, as well as hearing about people's experiences, kind of taking some of that with a grain of salt because everybody, everybody is different. Um, it would be really, really hard probably to find somebody with the exact same case and tumor size and, you know, situation and family history and everything as I have had, even though those genetics didn't play into it. Um, just the environmental upbringing as well and, and the environment I'm in now, um, but to find somebody who is that very, very similar to the situation I'm in. Um, so taking all of the information I have, looking at it, digesting it, thinking it through, not making a quick decision at all, um, talking with my husband, um, talking through um, you know, what could happen, what we would do if something happened, all of that kind of stuff. 
Um, definitely not decisions to take lightly. Um, so definitely have looked through everything, thought through everything, um, and made decisions based off of that. So um, if you are in the midst of this, um, I hope and pray that you are able to take all of that information in, talk to somebody, whether it's family, friends, um, you know, in the medical community, get the information that you need to make a decision that will have you at peace with what you're doing. And also knowing that from an ongoing basis from here, you're really going to be looked after. Um, so the hope is that if there is anything that you're not catching by some of the treatment that you're going through, that you're going to catch it soon enough and be able to do treatment at that point. So uh, thank you for listening and I hope you have a great day.